In a day when it seems like everyone has a strong opinion about everything, it's important to avoid being divisive. That's something Trent Griffith believes. The virus that will kill the church is not microbial. It's spiritual. The coronavirus pandemic will not kill the church, but a spirit of division will. Its symptoms are arrogance, self-righteousness, demanding of rights, and hatred toward anybody with whom we disagree. And if we don't kill the pandemic of division with the disinfectants of humility, hope, love, and joy, nobody's gonna come because nobody wants to sit in a community of angry, fearful, disgruntled, self-righteous people. There has never been a time when our culture more needed to hear a word of calm and clarity from Christians. There's never been a time when a fearful, foolish world more needs to hear Christians speak with humility, with wisdom, and with calm assurance that God is in control. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. It used to be understood that there were maybe certain conversational topics that you should avoid, right? You know what I'm going to say, don't you? Let me say it this way. A guaranteed way to cause an argument in a family gathering is to start discussing what? Yes, religion or politics or maybe another topic. It's a surefire way to ruin your Thanksgiving dinner. And nowadays, it seems like everything is politicized in some way or another, doesn't it? So even if you just stick to talking about the weather, someone might bring up climate change or global warming, and then you're off to a fight. Well, there's a better approach than just trying to avoid all controversy. And that's something Pastor Trent talks about today on Resonate. This message was recorded in May of 2020 just at the time when mask requirements were becoming a big deal for all of us. And you'll hear him refer to that. So let's listen together. Here's Pastor Trent. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. You are going to need a Bible this morning, so grab one. Get it open to Luke chapter 20. Uh, we're in this series that we've entitled Divine Deconstruction. We're looking at stories about how Jesus intersected with people's lives and really began to deconstruct, to unravel wrong belief systems and faulty foundations. Last week we saw that uh, Jesus wants to deconstruct my control issues. And this week we're going to see how Jesus wants to deconstruct a divisive spirit that is inside the heart of every one of us. That has got to be deconstructed. We're living in an unusual time and we're living in a season where fear is fueling division. I have a friend that serves on the Chamber of Commerce here in the South Bend area and I was talking with him the other day and of course they gather weekly and they hear the updates from the medical community and the government community and um, the economic community and my friend just said, you guys are really doing a great job at scaring people. And he asked the question, whose job is it to unscare us? And as he was telling me this story, I lifted my hand, I'm like, 
I guess that's my job. I guess that's the job of the pastors in the community to unscare us. And so that's what I'm going to try to do over the course of the next few minutes as we open God's Word. We need to hear from God's Word so that we will not create a spirit of division in our community and in our church. Uh, this past week, we've been doing some painting and remodeling at the house because we're in the house and we've got time to do it. And so I needed to run to the store and get some paint. And as I walked up to the store, I was greeted by a nice security officer there um, with a sign that said, in order to shop in our store, you're going to need to wear one of these. A mask. This has become the symbol of division in our culture. When he told me I had to wear this thing, I, I immediately thought, I do not want to wear a mask. I just need to buy paint. I don't need a mask to buy paint. And I didn't want to wear it because I don't like breathing in my face. And I didn't want to wear it because I don't want to hide the brilliant smile that God's given me. I didn't want to wear it because I don't like being told what to do. But then the better of my thinking came around and I thought, I, I can wear this because I want to show concern for other people. I can wear this because I might, I might have a virus that could actually kill someone in the store. I may not be aware of that. And I can wear this because I need paint. And so I put the mask on, I walked through the store, I bought my paint and I left. But if you're like me, there's something within you that's arisen during these days that wants to fight for your right to wear or not to wear a mask. And it's all fueled by a spirit of fear that we're living in. We're, we're fearing for our lives because there's a health crisis. We're fearing the loss of our income and our livelihood because of the economic situation. We're fearing about government overreach because we feel like we have some God-given unalienable rights that we should be able to hold on to. But I want to talk to you today about a fear that is even more deadly than the coronavirus. You know, my greatest fear is as a pastor is that we would allow our fears to cause us to lose our minds at valuing the thing that is of most importance. And that is our unity around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today's text that we're going to look at speaks directly to the situation that we're dealing with. We just verse by verse march through the Bible. I don't pick what comes next. It's just that this is what's coming next. It's going to be a familiar passage. It's going to speak to us about uh, this issue of divisiveness. I, I remember back on March the 11th. I don't know what you were doing on March the 11th. I remember it very vividly. It was a Wednesday. It was my wife's birthday. And that's when everything was starting to shut down. And I immediately had the thought, our country and our church is about to walk through what's commonly known as the five stages of grief. Are you familiar with those? Um, denial. This can't be happening. Surely it isn't that bad. That's the first stage. And then we come around to anger and then bargaining and depression and then acceptance. My heart as a pastor is so heavy right now for some of you that are stuck in stage two. Not stage two of the opening of guidelines, but the stage two of the stages of grief, the stage of anger. 
And some of you are stuck in that and it's causing a spirit of division that's growing that I believe is a greater threat to our churches, our family, and our nation than even COVID-19. This divisive spirit is fueled by a skepticism toward voices in the media, medical experts, and government. And listen, I understand mistrust of media and the government. Some of that is healthy. But listen, the alternatives are even less trustworthy. Mistrust is rooted in fear, and it too often leads us to become vulnerable to sensationalism. What we need right now is an infusion of God-given peace, supernatural discernment that comes from a mind that is saturated with biblical truth. And the further your mind strays away from biblical truth, the more susceptible your mind becomes to lies and fears. When Christians begin to believe and share discredited information, we look foolish and we lose our credibility to speak to those who need to hear us speaking about Christ. And when Christians begin to speak with a tone that reflects fear and anger and rage and distrust, you may think you're helping, but you are fueling a spirit of divisiveness. As a shepherd, a pastor, I, I feel like I'm watching my sheep where there's been a, a, I don't know, something that has spooked the sheep and everybody's running around crazy, running into each other and, and harming and hurting each other. And I just want to say as a shepherd, would everybody please just calm down and listen to the shepherd, the great shepherd who knows your name. He knows what you need. The virus that will kill the church is not microbial. It's spiritual. The coronavirus pandemic will not kill the church, but a spirit of division will. Its symptoms are arrogance, self-righteousness, demanding of rights, and hatred toward anybody with whom we disagree. And if we don't kill the pandemic of division with the disinfectants, of humility, hope, love, and joy, nobody's gonna come because nobody wants to sit in a community of angry, fearful, disgruntled, self-righteous people. There has never been a time when our culture more needed to hear a word of calm and clarity from Christians. There's never been a time when a fearful, foolish world more needs to hear Christians speak with humility with wisdom and with calm assurance that God is in control. So rather than posting your latest rant on the latest government guidelines or the stay-at-home orders or wearing it mask, listen, your followers would be better served by you simply posting a verse of Scripture and your confidence in it. Here's a good question. What would Jesus do? Well, what would Jesus do if he needed to buy paint and was told to wear a mask? Um, what would Jesus do if he was living under a political regime that was oppressive and, and, and corrupt, didn't value religious freedom? What, what would he do? Would, would he start a, a rebellion? Would he accuse them of being tyrannical? What would he do? Oh, 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 wait a minute. Wait, wait. We don't have to guess. All we have to do is open our Bibles because we have a historical record of Jesus 
living in a culture that was being dominated by an oppressive, overreaching government. At this season that we're about to read right now in Luke chapter 20, the Jews, the God-fearing people, were living under Roman rule. And the emperor was a man named Caesar Tiberius. And Caesar Tiberius was a man who was incredibly oppressive to his people. Why don't we just take time to read here in Luke chapter 20, beginning here in verse 19. And the scribes and the chief priests, those were the religious leaders, they sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. If you were listening last week, the previous paragraph here is about Jesus telling a a parable about these wicked tenants that beat up and destroyed and kicked out and even killed the son of the owner of the vineyard. And they perceived, hey, you're talking about us. So Jesus offended them. And they wanted to seize him, it says, but they feared the people because Jesus was very popular with the people. Verse 20 says, so they watched him and they sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said as to deliver him up to the authority and the jurisdiction of the governor. That would have been the Roman governor, Pilate, who had been sent by Caesar Tiberius into uh, the, the land of Israel to govern it. Verse 21 says, And so they ask him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly. You can hear the sarcasm in their voice. And show no partiality, but, but truly teach the way of God. And they devised a question that would test where Jesus fell in his political views. And so we have the question, verse 21, it simply says this, is it lawful for us to wear a mask? No, that's not what I said. Sorry, that was, that was an interpretation. In verse 22, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Notice how binary their question is. No compromise, no room for, no wiggle room, no middle ground here. Do we pay tribute to Caesar or not? And that was the question they used to try to put Jesus in a political box. But Jesus refuses to play with their, uh, their games. The, the religious and civil leaders were both threatened by Jesus. The scribes and the religious authorities, they were threatened by Jesus' authority over them as he began to teach the Word of God in a way contrary to them. And then, of course, the, the civil leaders, Pilate and, and Caesar Tiberius, were threatened by Jesus because of his popularity among the people, and they were afraid that he might lead an insurrection, a revolt. Or was Jesus a revolutionary? These religious leaders, the scribes, And the political leaders, Caesar, they couldn't agree on anything except one thing. They both hated Jesus. So they conspired together. You want to talk about a conspiracy theory? Here is one that's true. Everybody hated Jesus. And they lined up against him and they tried to take him out. They wanted him removed. The question that they ask, is it lawful to pay tribute to Caesar or not, is rooted in this, what is the government's power to tell God-fearing people what they can and they can't do? 
So what do you think Jesus said? Now, their question involved taxes. This tribute was a tax, and there were lots of taxes. I'm sure you can't relate to to this at all, but there were property taxes and sales taxes and income taxes. But the Roman emperor had instituted a new tax. It was called the head tax. And this head tax was simply for the privilege of being ruled by Caesar. And it wasn't a lot of money. It was just a small amount of money, but it was more what it represented. When that tax was put into place, there was such a revolt. 25 years earlier, before this scene, before this question, there was an uprising. There was a revolt against Rome. People were posting on their Facebook accounts about how tyrannical the government was, and people were marching on the Capitol and holding signs. It was bad. And they wanted to catch Jesus where he fell. Now, understand, if Jesus says, yes, you should pay the tax, then he would lose the support of the people because they were the Hebrew people, the Jews in in Israel. They they claim this is our land that God gave us. It's the promised land. And and Caesar has no right to tell us what to do. This, This land is our land and we will live free. And so if Jesus says, pay the tax, he's going to lose the support of the people. But if he says, no, don't pay the tax, he's going to be killed by the authorities. They thought they knew how he would answer. They thought that he would say, no, Caesar's not your king. I've come to lead a revolution. I'm the true and better king. Who's with me? But that's not what he says. He refuses to be put in a political box. Now, when you see the the scribes and the chief priest in this story, I want you to think about super conservative people. People that value the law. And when you look at the governor here in the story, and even Caesar, I want you to think super progressive. These these people, they, they think... Uh, the government doesn't want to be ruled by God's law. It doesn't pay any attention to God's law. It, it, times change and we should move along. So you've got these two people that couldn't agree on anything, but they want, both want Jesus removed. They're, they're trying to get Jesus to come down on one side or the other. Jesus, are you conservative? You believe, you believe what we've always believed in the Old Testament scriptures? Or are you siding with a new way of thinking? They're trying to nail him. What party are you a member of? Sound familiar? Does that sound like the culture you live in? In our current American political system, we have a two-party system. We're living in a time of great political division. Think about the word political, meaning two poles, and everybody has got a firm grip on their particular pole. It makes things very divisive. Every election Essentially, we're presented with two options. Our choices, even as believers, kind of binary. And it would lead us to believe that one side's right, the other side's wrong. We always have to choose between the lesser of two evils. In some cycles, there's more evils than others. But we always have to choose between the lesser of two evils This two-party system can give us the illusion that everybody on my side are my friends and everybody on the other side, they're my enemies. 
and it creates a divisiveness in our culture. And it's just not that simple. And if you think it's as simple as aligning yourself around the two opposite poles, then you are simple-minded. When it comes to issues like taxes and immigration and healthcare and foreign policy and racial justice and poverty and religious freedom and education and environment, and the list can go on and on. You can read the two political platforms if you want. It's just not that simple. And Jesus did not come to take a side. Jesus came to take over. Jesus is not a conservative Republican. And Jesus is not a progressive Democrat. The conservatives in this story, the scribes, they think he's too progressive. And the progressives in this story, Caesar, they think he's too conservative. That's what Jesus does. And by the way, that doesn't mean that Jesus occupies a squishy place in the middle where he doesn't take a stand. Jesus is the better conservative. He's the better chief priest. And he's the better Caesar. He's the better king in such a way that when he rules, he always rules perfectly with complete wisdom and discernment and grace and love and justice. You see, Jesus came to agitate and to confront and to claim authority over both political parties. Jesus calls conservatives to repent. Jesus calls progressives to repent. Jesus calls progressives to repent of denying timeless truths while def- what, about those truths defining and governing us. Jesus calls conservatives to repent of unjust systems that oppress people and everything in between. The gospel doesn't just sit outside of politics. The gospel enters into the political parties and stands over the political parties. It invades both and it calls both to repent. If both sides in this story hated Jesus, both the conservatives and the progressives, Don't be surprised if they both hate you, or at least you don't frustrate people on both sides. You shouldn't feel perfectly at home as a Christian in any political party. Jesus becomes a moderating influence for people on the extreme. He influences us to think above and outside of the two systems. You see, the more you live like Jesus, the more you'll be like him in this story, the more you'll be hated by both sides. The more you live like Jesus, the more the conservative crowd will think you're too progressive. And the more you live by Je- like Jesus, the more the, the progressives will think you're too conservative. If no one in conservative circles ever accuses you of being progressive, you're not living like Jesus. And if no one in the progressive circle ever accuses you of being too conservative, you're not living like Jesus. If you think that everything you see on CNN is fake news, and if you think everything you see on Fox News is fake news, you're not tuned into the good news enough. Your allegiances are polarized around the wrong voice. Jesus refuses to be put in a political box, and you should too. Do you know why? Because as Christians, We are kingdom citizens 
first. We are dual citizens as Christians. And our citizenship in the kingdom of God always transcends our citizenship in the kingdoms of this world. Trent Griffith has just provided a helpful way to think about the things that tend to divide us. And no matter where we fall on the political spectrum, our goal needs to be to imitate Jesus the best we can. we work hard at learning to imitate Jesus is at church. Learning the ways of Christ is a team sport, not solo. So if you're looking for a place to grow spiritually, why not consider Gospel City Church? We gather every week in Granger, Indiana, and we love to have you come worship with us. For more details about when and where we gather, just check out mygospelcity.org. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook by searching for Gospel City Church. Well, divisiveness finds its ultimate solution in a person. Pastor Trent will talk about that next time on Resonate. I hope you'll join us. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's Word and God's Spirit of unity would resonate in your heart this week. Come see the cross. Where love and mercy meet As the Son of God is stricken Then see His bones Lie crushed beneath His feet For the conqueror has risen And as the stone is rolled away And Christ emerges from the grave His victory marks
Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.